Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 64 of Buds and Blue Jays. And let me tell you, this was not the episode I was hoping we were going to be recording today. The Blue Jays have lost both games against the Seattle Mariners. And just as quickly as it began, our 2022 playoff series is now over. On today's show, we're going to dive deep into those two games in depth and take a big picture look and discuss what this means for the Toronto Blue Jays in the offseason and the long term going into 2023. But first... Be sure to like and subscribe to the video if you are watching on YouTube and leave us a five-star review on all those podcast streaming platforms. Riley McConnell, our usual co-host, is here. Hello, Riley. Good afternoon. Good evening, Jesse. Um, not the episode we wanted. I want to read. I'm not much of a literature guy. I hold in my hand uh, The Tale of Two, uh, A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. Um, and I will recite a sentence from the first chapter of the book. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Mm. This, Jesse, is how I felt in game two of the wildcard series against Seattle. The first five innings were the, were the best times I've ever mm. had at a ball game. The last four innings were the worst time I've ever had at a ball game. I'm just going to leave it at that. I got my eye black on because I'm just not done playing baseball. I'm not done watching baseball. I, baseball just can't be done right now. I'm still in disbelief. This can't be real. I'm about to wake up any second now, man. I'm about to wake up. I mean, we took a day to request uh, to recover from this, and it still feels like it's uh, it's too hard to be true, really. But we brought in a guest today to uh, talk about it as well. We are joined by avid sports card collector and a guy who's gotten to know Toronto sports heartbreak quite well. David Fulton, hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. And I have to uh, echo Riley's sentiments about uh, not not exactly what I would have picked to be my first uh, appearance on the podcast, but... Mm -hmm. Here we are. Um, it certainly, it certainly does feel like a bit of of rinse repeat in terms of, you know, the the with the Maple Leafs and um, with the um, the post ninety three Jays and the pre ninety two Jays. A lot of, lot of uh, unfortunate uh, collapses there as well. So, but that's what we're here for. We're gonna. And I dig this body up, I guess, and see what, see what we're exactly. working with. See what you we're working it. with. Let me tell you guys, I know some people really like the memes. I'm sick of the memes comparing the Leafs to the Jays. Like, it's too soon for this. I'm not ready, but yeah, uh, no. it's, it's a story for another day. Yeah, that, 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 was, that was all of Twitter for like mm -hmm. 36 hours after that game finished was – all the Vlad quotes, all the all the rest of the team quotes, like all the like, oh, let's see who's under here. Oh, yeah. it's, the, it's the Maple Leafs. And yeah. it's like, no, you guys have no idea. <laughs> and not to mention the best meme of them all, Mr. Jesse oh, Burrow yeah. making a <laughs> guest appearance on Sportsnet in a Tim and Sid post. Or sorry, my, my mistake, uh, Tim and Friends post, my bad, um, with him sitting in a four-by-four four section of seats. I was at that game. I must have buggered off and left poor Jesse alone. But he, him looking like he just lost his his, his best friend, his dog, you name yeah, it. kind of did, um, right? If, if you haven't <laughs> seen the photo, um, check us out on Instagram at Buds, uh, Buds and Blue Jays or Twitter Buds and Blue Jays because it is, it is something they caught Jesse at probably the, one of the lowest moments in his life. If you haven't seen it, I, I totally recommend checking it out. And it's just sports, but sports can make a hell of a feel on us humans here. It's, uh, it's never easy, but let's get into the meat of the episode here, guys. We got a lot to discuss, I'm sure. And before we start, I want to give you guys a true or false question here. Ready? Okay. Let's go. All right. True or false? The Toronto Blue Jays had a successful season in 2022. I David, mean, take it away. 
you can't really did they achieve the result that we were all hoping that they would achieve in the postseason? No, but at the same time, I mean, 92 wins isn't nothing. It's one of their best seasons that they've had in mm-hmm. 15 years, right? Even um, the two, you know, 2015, 2016, um, the, especially the 2016 team, that, that team just barely squeaked into the playoffs. Like last day of games, had to play the wild card tiebreaker against the Orioles, right? Yep. So, I mean, from a from a regular season standpoint, I'd say it's true. But, I mean, obviously, we were all hoping for a different result in the postseason. So, so David, true or false? I, I have to say, on balance, it's, it's probably true. It was a pretty successful season, all things considered, even though it didn't end out the way we wanted. All right, Riley. Yeah, I'm going to go I'm going to go off exactly what you pretty much said, David, but I'm going to pretend that this is a question. The question is on a piece of paper where I actually write down true or false and I'm going to be one of those kids that tries to mix the letters up so it looks like it reads both true and false. It's a very difficult question um, <laughs> to even answer. Um, at the end of the day, man, my biggest takeaway is is this. Vladdy had a down year for power. That's a knock against him. Alec mm-hmm. Manoa um, had one of the guttiest performances in in the last stretch of the season and did was dominant throughout the whole throughout the whole year mm-hmm. ross stripling if he doesn't come back to toronto is gonna have one i hope the best to him if he if he stays or goes um those are huge huge wins for us and then vlad would be a down barrios would be a down kikuchi would be a down and my and, and my thoughts would be there's more bad than good, so I'm going to have to go false on this one. For individual performance-wise and what happened in the postseason, 92 was my expectation. 92 okay. wins around that would have been my expectations. Uh, the uh, sweep in the first round in a three-game series, those suck, but it's it's false for me. No, I, I don't think the Blue Jays – I mean, the Blue Jays were good. Don't get me wrong. But if you're not first, you're last. I would say this is disappointing. Uh, there was a lot of expectations that the Blue Jays would win our division. We're not playing the Seattle Mariners here if we go out and win our division. So, yes, 92 wins. Great season. One of the best the Blue Jays have had in franchise history. But I'm still calling this – successful might not be the wrong word, but it might be disappointing in a season that we had here. And, guys – I don't know. Long off season ahead of us here. Um, don't worry about your player grades yet. We are going to give those out on our next episode, I believe, where we give out the report cards, like with teachers or something here, going all about it. But let's dive into the games here, and let's start with game two. And guys, there was so much that happened in this game, from the big lead early, from Teoscar Hernandez hitting the double dong, to getting some insurance, to being up 8-1, to one, for goodness sake, with 10 outs to go, to the blow-up, to the Whit Merrifield hit by pitch, to the call to bring in Tim Meza, to the back call on Alejandro Kirk to draw a walk. There's so much we could talk about in this game and where do you guys want to start like where do we even start i feel like i'm gonna take this yeah man i gotta take this away you can you can narrow it down to this guys is there are plays that make or break games in Mm -hmm. my opinion seattle didn't really win this ball game we more so lost this ball game the wheels completely fell off is an understatement on paper the only thing seattle has better than us is a bullpen they have one hell of a bullpen in the american league and they really exploited one of our weaknesses which is our bullpen pitching now you want to talk about specific moments um the tsn turning point as you will say or for what we'll call it right now would be the straw that broke the camel's back on the season jesse is when Bo and springer collided mm-hmm. on a ball that if if Bo doesn't try and be a hero and if springer plays it on the hop 
then one run scores, two runs score at the worst, and it holds the force play on. The guy doesn't go to second base. The other runner remains at second base. And you hold your runs that way. At this point, we're making, we're trying to make a play that shouldn't have been made. That for me was certainly was, was certainly the play that set the dominoes rolling down. And from there, the ble- like, you know, we were bleeding out a little bit, Jesse, but that that just that just brought the wound wide open. Anything to add there, David, before I throw some stats into you? Yeah, I mean, when you boil it right down, game two got off to a really good start. Mm-hmm. I think everyone was happy with the result through, you know, five and a half innings, six innings. And there's there's a couple of, like, it, this is the difficulty with big collapses like this, is that there are so many individual events that you can kind of point to and say, if this breaks the other way, it's totally different, right? If... Gossman stays in, gets that last out. Mm-hmm. They use Meza in the sixth. He gets a clean inning. Maybe that ends up differently. They don't get those four runs in the sixth, right? You don't have the collision in center field because Bo gets called off or Springer decides not to leap for it or, you know, both, right? Then some of those runs don't score. And <clears throat> if you would told me at the beginning of the season, especially or even midway through the season, like between Anthony Bass, Aaron uh, – um, Adam Simmer is it Adam Simmer? Adam oh Simmer, yeah. Yeah. Between between Bass, Simmer, and Romano that they couldn't get nine outs for us. Mm-hmm. I would have told you you were insane. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't even have Bass on the staff, but we remembered how he was in 2020. He was not terrible. He was very serviceable for us in 2020. And he was having a hell of a season before we traded for him. Right. Mm-hmm. So like they put the best guys in and it just it just didn't work out because there was all these tiny little things where if if it just flips the other way, right? So it's 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 tough. That's why these that's why these situations are so hard to wrap your head around. It's so hard to to kind of process, right? Because you can you can you can you know, microanalyze it down to inning by inning, pitch by pitch, and say if this goes the other way, it's a totally different game. And that's why we watch, right? That's why we watch sure. baseball because it's crazy. But unfortunately, we we're on the losing end of this one. And uh, yeah. sure doesn't feel good, does it? No, it, I mean it never does, yeah. right? But at this, at the end of the day, that's why you play the games, right? So I got some stats to throw at you in that game. At one point in the uh, sixth inning, when the Jays were up eight to one, um, they had a ninety-nine percent win expectancy in this game. That stings even more. And on the uh, Springer between Bobachet and George Springer, that had a seventy-five percent catch probability. So George Springer catches that three or four times. Just didn't hear. And George Springer had a terrible jump. Honestly, if you go back and you look at it, it almost looks like Springer breaks backwards first before he breaks forward. If he reads that better, he just probably catches that ball. He calls off Bo. It's not a problem. And people are giving Bo Bichette a lot of crap for running out there. Bo's just trying to catch the ball. That's his thing. It's a big moment. Like, Bo's not trying to be the man or a superstar here. He's just trying to catch the ball. He wanted anyone to catch the ball. And um, maybe he just didn't hear Springer call him off. And maybe if he wasn't out there, Springer dives and catches that. But I don't think Bo Bichette did anything wrong on that play. I, I agree to an extent, Jesse. But, I, hey, man, it comes back to fundamental, fundamental baseballs. And you want to talk about the captains uh, out of your nine. I mean, the pitcher's your guy, but the outfield captain, center field, the infield captain's your shortstop more often than not. And it's a case where... 
yeah, Springer got a bad jump, and, but at the same time, too, Bo's going back on a ball, and a ball that's in shallow center field that's behind the bag on second base, which if you if you look at it, Jesse, he had a lot of ground to cover. They almost yeah. covered equal ground, and it does show, it showcases the range that Bo Bichette does have. Um, at the same time, like, look, he didn't make the play. No one made the play. The guy got to second base. That's the, that's the big thing here, is that if you're going to have a miscommunication out in the field, this might be one of the worst times to have it. I'm, I'm deeming yeah. it right now. For uh, for any miscommunication in Jay's defensive history, this came at the the absolute worst time, and I don't, I can't think of any second second place that that even would be close to that man. That was the absolute turning point. Hey, there's a lot, man. We watched Tapia take a terrible route to yeah, a ball yeah. that uh, went for a double. Man, I, and in my head right here, I had all these things queued up. There was there was just too many plays. You had you had that if Santiago Espinal doesn't make that air in the first inning, then it saves Gosman. You know, between five to ten pitches. There's a lot of variables, and we could sit here and like. What David said, we could we could just rip everything apart from the ground up, microanalyze absolutely everything. But Jesse, there's just there's just no point. What happened was we had a seven run lead and we lost the we lost the game by one run. And if you're to ask me, you know, hey, we scored nine runs, I would say great. How much did we beat them by? And you right. tell me that we lost. Like usually when you score nine runs, your offense has done their job. And Tay Oscar certainly led the charge on that. But Gos Gosman had one hell of an outing, man. Absolutely loved the guy. I, I, he had a great season for us. Our bullpen completely let us down, man. And it's not all on one guy. It's it's as a unit. The bullpen did not do what it was supposed to do. Before we get into discussing game one here, we do got to talk about the bullpen decisions. David kind of touched on it a little there. Um, the decision to bring Tim Mazin over Gosman was kind of interesting, especially because Gosman had already allowed the bases to be loaded. And then you let him pitch to a guy to try to get out of it. Like, if you're going to pull Kevin Gosman, you pull him as soon as the bases are loaded, not when he gets a first out here. And I don't know if you guys have looked up the stats here, but over the last 15 days, Kevin Gosman against left-handed batters has been significantly better than Tim Mazo against right-handed batters. Like, it's not even close. And even if you look at Santana's numbers, it's... Um, Santana's much better hitting from the right side than he is from the left side. I think John Schneider got scared when Santana in his first at bat against Kevin Gosman hit that double off the top of the wall that um just and I mean just that was missed like, going for a home run. That was like six inches away from being over the fence. God, I wouldn't even say six inches. I think it was less than that. But um, I think that's what scared him to making this pitching move. And maybe it's just John Schneider overmanaging it. I don't know. But for the rest of the bullpen, you know. Anthony Bass had a 1-4-1 ERA on the season. Couldn't even get an out here. Um, Tim Meza struggled like he did there. Um, Jordan Romano was relied on for six outs, including this first three came with the bases loaded. So maybe he was just wearing down a little bit. But guys who had been rock solid for the Blue Jays all year just weren't in this game. And it's just bad luck or what? I think if you replay that situation so many times and put out the same bullpen guys, the Jays win that game more often than not. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> from a from a managerial standpoint, I mean... The only difficult decision that I have for some of the substitutions, um, specifically the pitching one, like you said, um, you, you presume that the Blue Jays have access to the same kind of analytics that the rest of us can look at. Oh, if not more. And you're absolutely right. Meza was getting absolutely crushed by left hand or by sorry, by right handed batting in the lead up to the postseason. I get that you wanted to go to him for that because you you know you look at the numbers and you say Santana doesn't have the same kind of power from that side of the plate, but at the same time, I mean, 
this is this is probably gonna get people in the comments being like, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. Honestly, I would have I might have even gone with Kikuchi mm -hmm. in that spot instead. I totally one hundred percent agree. Instead I totally of totally one hundred percent. As as bad a season as Kikuchi had for us, his splits are still better against righties than Mazer's were <laughs> leading up to the postseason. Right? Not to suggest that Tim Mazer is not a better reliever than Kikuchi is, because I think he absolutely is, and he's proven that over the last couple of years that he's a he's a valuable piece for us, but when a guy is struggling against right-handed batting like that, I mean, whether you think this guy can hit it out from the right side or not, is that really the best choice? Also, I, don't, under I don't understand why, um, as soon as he threw the wild pitch, why didn't you just walk Santana? You know, you had a lefty coming up anyway. It was a 1-1 count. Like, put the guy third, third was open yeah. at that point, right? Because the run had already scored. It was 8-2. to Well, yeah, the and wild pitch moved them all up, so there was first base open. Well, either way, you know, you, like you say, the bag, you know, you have full bags again, so you're in almost an identical situation and like you say he's coming up lefty on lefty right so that from a like like i say from a pitching standpoint all the rest of the decisions made sense to me we put our best guys in there and they unfortunately weren't able to get the job done um and just circling slightly back around to to something that riley was mentioned there about about tapia that was another that was probably the only other question mark i had about defensive replacements why doesn't jackie bradley jr go in there Jackie Bradley already Jr. hadn't it. played a minute of left field all season, but that doesn't matter. You could put him in center, spring it a right to Oscar. I was, was going to say, stuff. shuffle the outfielders however you need to, because Bradley Jr. is hands down a better defender than Tapia. I don't think Tapia is a bad defender, but I mean, like I say, we could sit here and hash this until we're blue in the face, but I would confidently say that Jackie Bradley Jr. has a better chance of making that catch that popped out of Tapia's glove. Mm -hmm than Tapia did because he didn't make it, right? He took a bad route, and he's fast, but he wasn't fast enough. Jackie Bradley Jr. maybe reads that better off the bat. You know, he's more veteran. He's played a lot more reps in the outfield than Tapia has, you know, career-wise. Maybe he gets there in time, and that completely changes the complexion of the rest of the game. So... Oh, no doubt in my no doubt in my mind. Um, just to touch on the outfield thing, um, what, what it's it's crazy. Look at how we started the game. Obviously, Tay Oscar started in right field and played the entire nine innings in right field. Had two home runs. Whatever. We lost sixty six point six six seven infinity whatever decimal point percent of our outfield in that game. Um, yeah. Going to bring this up now was the. Um, the first pitch Diego Castillo throws, and he absolutely beams wit in the head. Um, first of all, I don't want to spend forever on this, but there's no way that with a base open and wit coming up with the history that Castillo has, there's no way that he's not either trying to, A, brush him off a little bit or stir things up. Because at this point in the game, we're still blowing them out. Yeah, it was 8-1. Yeah. You, you, can, you can look at it any way you want. If the game is, is, is 8 as eight runs for us, six runs for them, then maybe that play doesn't happen. It's inconvenient timing, but he was throwing at Wit. He had no business doing that. Um, I hope Wit's okay. He was he's a feisty guy. He stayed in the game to run the bases. Jesse, we were wondering, you automatically assumed when he went back to the dugout he would be taken out. Mm -hmm. Thus puts Tapia in that field. Now I don't think Wit Merrifield makes uh, a real good chance at it either. Yes, Witt's got good legs, but again, you talk about reps in the outfield. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. is your guy. 
Um, Jackie Bradley Jr. obviously was used in this ballgame to replace the injured George Springer. Now, the only thing that hindered um, the difference between Springer and Bradley was um, to lead off an inning. And I think it was um, it was the eighth inning, Jesse, that it would have been Springer. And instead, Jackie Bradley Jr. came to let off. That could have that. That's 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 a huge that's a huge difference. You're talking about a perennial power leadoff hitter versus a guy who his his days as a top of the order guy are well behind. I don't think Jackie Bradley Jr. was ever more than a seven hitter in the Red Sox lineup, let alone a guy who's going to lead off one of the most important innings. If not at that point, it was the most important inning of the season. He's not the guy to do the job. We obviously needed Springer and we can, again, David, you, you call the you call the phrasing right. We could sit here till we're blue in the damn face, man. There's no two ways about it. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong and it's you just it's uh, it's almost unfathomable the amount that happened and i feel like we're missing stuff that we haven't the balls and strike calls there was a a call against kirk there was a call against chapman um that went in favor of seattle there were there's a lot of close pitches early on in the game i thought the ump did a very good job um at 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 least trying because robbie ray and kevin gosman were absolutely painting in the in the first two innings, and there was a lot of pitches on the black. I thought were called pretty good. The check swings, on the other hand, there was a oh, there was a, few a bad hand, ones. Yep. handful of check swings, man. And I never like the umpire, home plate umpire, making that call on a check swing on a on a strike three call. I would have been Danny Jansen got rung up, and he didn't even appeal down to first base. Hated that. Jesse, there's so much to rant about, man. I only know we got a certain amount of time, so I'm going to stop my little rant there. But <laughs> at the end of the day, man, everything that could go wrong for this team, just it, it did go wrong, man, and some, and yeah, we, some. We spent way too much time talking about Jackie Bradley Jr. We got a lot more we got to get to here uh, for big reason. It's one of the most important games the Blue Jays have played probably in their most recent franchise history, but for good reason. Let's back up to game one a little bit here. Jays lost this one too, remember? And in game one, Luis Castillo was the story. He comes in throwing two and a half miles per hour than he had all year. He was kind of bad down the stretch for Seattle and then a flick of a switch, he's just lights out. Alec Manoa on the other side didn't get a single swing and miss on his fastball. That was the first start, I think in his career, that has happened. And like, go figure. Manoa's going to have a start like that. And it's going to be the first game in the playoffs when we need him to be so good. Uh, Jays had their chances in this game. They had two men on twice in the third and the fifth for Vlad and Bo. Couldn't get it up. And here's an interesting stat I found out on game one, guys. The Blue Jays have played 2,351 games since uh, the 2008 season. And they chased more fastballs out of the zone in game one of the wildcard series here than they have in any other game since 2008 when they chased 61% of fastballs out of the zone. So really quick, guys, give us the thoughts you had on game one. Well, I'm going to start this one. This one was uh, pretty much the call um, Luis Castillo game. I mean, there are times where... You're just you're just outmanned by a player. I mean, Luis Castillo single-handedly shut us down. Mm-hmm. Alec Manoa, I can't even say he. It was one of his uh, worst performances of the year. Honest to God, though, man, he just had a bad first inning. Um, I think, I think nine. I think six times out of ten, we're gonna score five or six runs in support for Alec Manoa. In that case, against Seattle, I feel like we should. We didn't. We got shut out, and it, it sent us. It sent us down. We needed to win too. 
that's that's tough, man. I know we're on our own turf, and that's kind of why it why it hurts the most. But Luis Castillo, man, you got to tip your cap to him, man. He threw he threw a one hell of a ball game for Seattle. David, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean that's that's the guy that the Mariners traded for. Yeah, you didn't you didn't see that in the regular season after he came from Cincy, really. I mean, you saw flashes of it, but that's the guy that they went out to get and that's exactly they got exactly what was advertised right so you got to give you got to give them kudos there but <clears throat> when it comes to game 1 i mean especially in context of of both games this is kind of like a microcosm of just how the jays have been over the last four seasons or so right ever since ever since Flatty and Bo and the core the young core started to come up we've been saying it over and over again that this is usually the tale of two teams, right? Mm -hmm. They're when the pitching's great, the bats are cold. And when the bats are hot, that's when the pitching seems to just fly out the window. And that's exactly what happened here. Game one, the pitching again, wasn't ideal. I mean, I, I don't imagine, I mean, clearly Manoa didn't take it very well. They said afterwards yeah, he, he was, was staring into his locker yeah. for, half an hour um but i mean that's unexpected but four runs is not a huge deal right if this is a team that has one of the best offenses in baseball then you'd expect that they'd be able to at least get a couple of runs on the board be able to piece something together right but the bats were cold in game one and then the pitching fell apart in game two and that's that's been the problem is the jays are, are super talented i don't think anyone would this would debate that but they're so there's so much a boom or bust team right now as they're constructed where when they're hot they are absolutely scorching hot and they can play with anybody in the league mm -hmm. but the second that something about that starts falling apart it all goes right they they either can't hit or they can't pitch or both and it's unfortunate that we got both of those in back to back games just a different flavor each time right so Anything quick to add, Riley, before we uh, move on here? Yeah, I think just, uh, yeah, David, you're absolutely right. In concession, uh, especially, too, like when you get a game where um, where you get shut out and then where you scored nine runs but don't win the game where you scored nine runs, like you just, you look at the box score. If you were to look at the box score, if you're a Jays fan or a guy who knows the game of baseball, you just know that something went wrong. There's, there's no explanation. You can, there's two ways to look at it. Look, man, like Seattle rallied in that second mm -hmm. game, but we, the, the tires were falling off the truck more than Seattle was pushing down the accelerator on us. And the loss was on us, man. There's not one person to blame the, the old saying you win as a team, you lose as a team. I mean, we, we lost this ball game, and at the end of the day, I'm not gonna, even going to point fingers that the guys who are supposed to do a job, what they're like, our hitters who are supposed to be this, or our pitchers who are supposed to be this, the camaraderie wasn't there. The guys didn't perform, Jesse. And at the end of the day, sucks to be swept. Two game series, it's hardly even a sweep, but we got swept, and we're done. We're done, man. Over. Yep. Um, I want to move on to something positive here, guys. Is, are there any positive notes to take away? Like, getting sweeps, sweat sucks, as you said. But, like, Teoscar Hernandez had a two-home run game. He's only the third Blue Jay in playoff history to do it. Kevin Gosman was just the $110 million pitcher you wanted him to be. You brought him in for these starts. He delivered. And my take that I'm going to give away a positive here is this team just got punched in the throat. 
right? You learn a lot about yourself once you've taken a big punch like that and how this team responds, how this team reacts is going to go a big way to seeing if this team is going to have success with this core. So this was the first real punch. Let's see how they react next year. Do you guys just real quick, give me a note on uh, if there's a positive you can take away from this. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you hope that this is a, a learning experience, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's really tough to have a group of guys come up and just immediately have success. It very rarely ever happens that way. Yeah. I mean, teams, especially in baseball, just don't fluke into it, right? They got to go through their through the tough times, right? I mean, look at all the recent, you know, World Series champions. I mean, the Dodgers, you know, had their struggles. The Braves had their struggles. The Astros had their struggles for a long, long time, right? You know, consistently making the playoffs, but yeah, never Nationals being able to too. Yeah, Nationals as well. They were a team that was always kind of in the mix and just never was able to put it together until they did. So, I mean, we had some guys that had some great individual seasons and you hope that they're going to be able to to look back on this and say, okay, we learned something from this and, and we're going to put that to use next year. Riley, real quick. Let's yeah, absolutely. Grow, growing pains, man. Absolute, absolute growing pains for our young guys. Sucks for the veterans, but for our young guys to learn from this. All right. Well, guys, what do you think this means big picture for the offseason then? Because we're only losing Jackie Bradley Jr., David Phelps, and Ross Stripling for free agency. So I want to touch. We don't have a lot of time to touch on this, guys. But what do you think this means? Is this team going to keep this core intact going into next season? Or do you think this means there might be a big shakeup because getting swept like that was really bad? What do you guys think? I'm thinking that first thing, let's go... Real quick, let's talk about pitchers. We got to go after at least one more good starter. We got to, we got to, if we're going to tear down anything, Jesse, it's got to be the bullpen. I don't want to see Romano go, but if we're going to move him to a setup role and find someone better, then so be like it. An Edwin Diaz, I maybe. I mean, that would be a huge price to pay, but man, like we got to flatten that curve a little bit. The curve being how good our offense is, how good our starting pitching should and can be and how we're, we lacked in the bullpen area, man. And honestly, like I saw a couple things, like we're not going to be able to shake Brios. We're not going to be able to shake Kikuchi. They're going to be there. We really have to find another arm to kind of, Make things okay, because Mitch, I think we learned Mitch White ain't going to be that guy. Um, the other move I see is we got uh, an absolute surplus of catchers, that being Kirk Jansen and Gabby Moreno. Um, I am almost certain that there will be a deal mixed in this offseason where we don't see one of them in a Blue Jays uniform. But you can't tell me that. I mean, I wish they could all catch at the exact same time. But one of those guys is going to be wearing an MLB jersey next year, and it won't be for the Toronto Blue Jays. David, real quick, what are your thoughts? Yeah, echoing what you're saying about the catchers, I certainly think that <clears throat> that's definitely a possibility. Um, kind of bullet points here. I hope they keep stripling. He was really good for us, and mm -hmm. we need we need as much help in the starting rotation as we can get because we you know we took some gambles and they didn't pay off. Um, another big question mark for me is the log jam at second base. We have Wit for next year. We have yep. Biggio still, and we have Espinal. They're all fantastic second basemen, but how many surplus middle infielders do you need, right? I honestly wouldn't be surprised if you see – I would be – I expect they'll keep wit, but I wouldn't be surprised if they trade one of Biggio or Espinal for the impact left-handed bat that they're sorely missing from this roster. 
Yeah, going on your point there, I could also see it with one of our outfielders, uh, Lourdes Scoriel Jr., and to a lesser extent, Teoscar Hernandez. Both are free agents after next year. And yeah. um, I could also see us lining up real well with the St. Louis Cardinals. Yadi and Molina is retiring. We can use one of those catchers that, Riley, you talked about to put over there to get one of their outfielders, whether it's a Lars Newtbar or a Dylan Carlson or something like that to go in there. But that's a, a topic we can cover another day. Uh, real quick, guys. Um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. said in spring training, 2022 was going to be a movie. And now we've had our popcorn. We've sat in and watched. We've seen the movie. If you were a movie critic, how would you review this movie? Well, thank God I'm not a damn movie critic, Jesse. <laughs> <clears throat> because let me tell you, man, that was not a very good flick. I'm a fan of the romantic comedies. You know, I like a funny movie. I like a little bit of love. And I mm -hmm. like a feel-good ending. Jesse, in no... In no way was this a feel-good ending. The, the absolute context behind it was they picked me up and made me feel good and then dropped me on my damn head at the end of the movie and then roll credits. That was it. It gets, mm -hmm. I don't do this Rotten Tomatoes crap. I'm a, I'm a star ranker kind of guy. Again, I give our podcast five stars. But oh, this and movie, you should too, by the way. People watch And this, this movie dubbed, I don't even know what the title is, Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s insane, insane line that he said, I'm giving it one and a half stars. Congratulations, Alec Manoa, for earning a whole star by yourself. <laughs> David, how about you? Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and the no good, very bad postseason. Oh. <laughs> Probably what I would title this movie. Um, honestly, though, it it felt kind of like a real life version of like 2012 or something like that, where it didn't start off very well, and there were some interesting action sequences throughout the year, um, throughout the through the throughout the course of everything, and then it just kind of ended and it wasn't very satisfying mm -hmm. you know what i mean so <clears throat> it's certainly not something that i would go out of my way to watch again so hopefully the sequel is going to be better honestly and let's get a trilogy going here let's get a dynasty let's uh let's make this happen let's have this be bigger than star wars baby if we're going to do a movie thing let's Hell make yeah. this really go um guys before we wrap up here any last words yeah, well, if this is the Star Wars, then I don't know who the hell Quagon was, but he just got stabbed by Darth Maul completely. Um, though I hope that the people who listen to our show, watch us on YouTube, know a little bit about Star Wars to know what I mean. But that's what it felt like me is someone put a someone put a double-ended Sith lightsaber through my guts, mm. and I laid there, and I'm saying to schneider whoever takes the managers train the boy i'm telling saying train the boy as in train vladimir guerrero jr to hit the ball in the damn air yeah 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 well, that's you look at the numbers and you say that his you can point to most of his regression being that his launch angle wasn't very good this year he was driving too many balls have. too low <laughs> so um any final thoughts? Like I say, I just hope that they take something from this and they're able to grow from it and the, the management group is able to improve uh, the core. You know, you know, we've got a good group of guys here. It's just, you know, making improvements in the margins. And I mean, over and above that, the only thing I'd suggest is 
no hot takes before the season, please. Because <laughs> if it because if it goes this way again, man, I don't know if I can take another year of memes afterwards. Like it's oh. it's, it's bad enough with the Leafs every year. I don't need it from the Jays too. <laughs> there will be some. Don't get me wrong here, um, guys. That'll do it for our episode here today. Thank you for everybody for tuning in once again. Be sure to like and subscribe to the show on YouTube. Uh, and a bit of a programming note here, guys. Now we are switching over to our off season mode. So I think our plan is we're probably going to go one episode a week, probably on Thursdays, unless there's breaking news. We've got a lot of fun stuff kind of planned for the offseason some things that might be a little different than your other blue jays channels we've got a lot of guests coming on and guys we are still looking for a third co-host so if you uh like what you see here and like listening to us and you just want to come talk some blue jays with your friends shoot out to us you can follow us on twitter dm us there or send an email to buds and blue jays at hotmail.com and make sure you check out our friends over at leafs and lads the nhl season starts this week so it's kind of good i guess the blue jays lost here because now you can flip over to the maple leaf stuff and you can get ready to be heartbroken in april all again i'm sure david will be checking them out i'm sure and uh yeah isaac din and mark got you covered over there so follow and subscribe to them as well riley good talking with you as always david Thanks for joining the show, man. It was took too long. I can't believe it took, uh, had to be like this, you know, but here we are. Hey, just happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. And, you know, hopefully we'll do this again uh, at some point in the future where we've got something a little more positive to talk That'd about, right? All right. See you, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Peace.